These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. That's the purpose of the book of John, and that's where we've been for the last several weeks. I'm excited to be in John chapter 4 with you today. My name is Nick. Uh, my ministry focus here at Holland Chapel is students, and you probably know that because I tend to talk about them every time I get up here. But I do need to tell you that Wednesday night in this very room, we had the, the largest uh, student attendance that we've ever had at Holland Chapel. Things are going great, and it's because, yes, it's because your students continue to invite their friends and and over and over again they're they're bringing friends to church not just to hang out but I truly believe they're bringing their friends to church so that they can hear about Jesus so they can hear that best news ever this Wednesday we're going to have a special night in here we are privileged to have a um a kind of somewhat famous band, I guess you'd say, seventh time down. Uh, they're going to be in this room leading our students in worship this Wednesday. They were coming through town and, and uh, reached out to us, and we're in a series in the book of Psalms, and we thought what better uh, way to uh, go through the book of Psalms than to stop about halfway through our series and have a special night of worship. If you would like to attend, um, we will have some seats in here, I believe. Uh, the doors will open at 6 o'clock on Wednesday night. We will have a temperature check out front, as we do with our students when they show up every Wednesday. One of the things that we told our parents was that we are going to make sure and uh, have temperature checks when the students come in. So if you come, uh, if you maybe got some students in the youth group, or maybe you just listen to K-Love and, and Love Seventh Time Down, you might know them from the song God is on the Move uh, and some other songs uh, that are on K-Love. So if you would be interested in coming, uh, doors will open at 6. Just know that we'll uh, zap your temperature. I don't know what you do. You don't really zap it, but uh, check it. Check your temperature. Uh, and come in and worship with us. It's going to be an awesome night this Wednesday. Uh, tell me something good uh, is where we're at today. John chapter 4, another incredible encounter in the book of John. Another incredible conversation. And I say another because the last time I was up here, two or three weeks ago, we looked at a conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. And depending on what service you were in that morning, you may have heard me refer to him as Nehemiah over and over and over again. And, uh, and so if that's the case, let me just tell you, please, please, you will not offend me if you shout out and say, Nicodemus, if I'm saying Nehemiah over and over again, I've been told that in the first gathering I said it once or twice. In the second gathering, I think I pretty much changed Nicodemus to Nehemiah. So if that's the case, shout it out, please. You will not offend me. I got good news, though. I don't think that's going to happen today. Not because I'm above a mistake, not because I don't think I'll misspeak, but because we don't know this woman's name, so I can't mess it up. And we know her as the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. So if I mess up her name, then I'm adding to Scripture here because she doesn't have a name. Few stories reveal as much, care, as much of the character of Jesus as we see in John chapter 4. And I'll just go be right out front with you that this passage of Scripture has been very convicting to me. And so I'm just going to warn you in advance, it's, it's pretty convicting uh, what we see happen here as Jesus has this divine appointment, uh, presents the gospel to this woman and I think that you'll see what I mean when I say it's convicting as we get on through here. So look at uh, John chapter 4. We'll begin reading in verse number 1. And the way I like to do these, I love these narrative stories, is just to read a few verses and talk about it and get on through the story. So we'll read verse 1 through 3. It says, Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. Although Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. Last week, Grant uh, brought the word, and, and he talked to us about John the Baptist and this controversy 
this frustration that John the Baptist's followers uh, felt as people were beginning to flock to Jesus and John wasn't getting as much attention. And Jesus uh, knows about that controversy and he didn't want any controversy around baptism. He didn't want to compete with John. Jesus had something much more important to do. And so I think it's interesting here that this passage begins with, hey, Jesus just got on out of town. He left Judea uh, and returned to Galilee uh, he had more important things to do than to get tied up in that controversy. How often do we get tied up in pointless debates, uh, arguments, disagreements, issues? Maybe we just get caught up in the unimportant, the social media, the sports world, and we miss what uh, we had the potential to see happen in our lives. Uh, we, it, it potentially could cost us something far more important. We get distracted from our mission, and this is what I'm talking about when I say this message is very convicting to me. Our mission at Holland Chapel is to help people find and follow Jesus. And oftentimes, we might get distracted in that debate over who's more important or uh, the issue of uh, who was baptizing more people or uh, some social media thing or the sports world. And, and we get distracted from our purpose, from our mission. It could cost us a relationship. It could cost us our time. It may cost us a divine appointment. It's a phrase you're going to hear me say a few times this morning, and that's what Jesus, I believe, had here. He had a divine appointment. We see in verse 4, it simply says that he had to go through Samaria on the way. So we know Jesus has left Judea. He's returning to Galilee, and it says that he had to go through Samaria on the way. The area of land here from Judea to Galilee was about 120 miles Jesus was traveling south from Judea to north, which is Galilee. And in between those lands were a place called Samaria. Now, the usual route for a Jew to get from south uh, Judea to north Galilee, the usual route would be to cross east the Jordan River, go up alongside of the territory, and then cross back over. It would have been way out of the way. Instead of just splitting the difference and going right through Samaria, most Jews would go east, cross the river, go up, cross the river back when they got to Galilee. But Jesus, it says, had to go through Samaria on the way. Now, why would people go to all that trouble? Why go all the way out of the way? Well, the bottom line is that there was a conflict for centuries between Jews and Samaritans. Uh, issues like war, uh, intermarriage, uh, just a resentment this was not your friendly neighborhood cross-town rivalry. I was at Harmony Grove Friday night, and Boxite and Harmony Grove played. We all know that Benton and Bryant play, and I was there at uh, the game, and, and there was Harmony Grove fans on the Boxite side and Boxite fans on the Harmony Grove side. It was just a friendly rivalry. rivalry. That would not happen between the Jews and the Samaritans. It was out of the question. There was an intense hatred. And I say all that because that makes what happens next unbelievable. That makes this conversation that Jesus is about to have unbelievable. Don't just think this is some uh, fun football rivalry here. There was a hatred between the Jews and the Samaritans. So much so that they went out of their way to dodge the land. They didn't even want to walk on their land. Look at verse 5. It says, eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Joseph's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. 
He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. Now this location, this, this spot, this piece of land uh, had a long, meaningful history in Jewish tradition. It, in fact, it was the first inhabitable land in the promised land that we read about in Scripture. It, it had a long history of important events take place there. Lots of Jewish history happened on this ground. Uh, Jacob, you may know the name Jacob, had given this land to Joseph, and Joseph in turn was actually buried there on this land. So where Jesus ends up here is a, is a very important place in, in Bible history. We see something really interesting here, something that quite honestly jumps off the page at me when it says that Jesus was tired from the long walk. And he sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Jesus Christ came to this earth born of a virgin, fully God. We see that through miracles that he performed, the incredible healings, the feeding of the 5,000. Just over and over again, we recognize his, um, the fact that he was fully God while he walked on this earth. But then at the same time, we see here that he's fully man. He was tired. What that tells us is that life was as tough for him as it is for us. Jesus didn't have a free pass. He didn't come to earth as a privilege. He didn't get to uh, have it the easy way. He dealt with the same struggles that we deal with. In the wilderness, Jesus was hungry. On the cross, Jesus was thirsty. When he and the disciples were going across the lake, Jesus was resting in the boat. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, this is an incredibly encouraging passage. It says, this high priest of ours understands our weakness. He faced all the same tests that we do. Jesus, fully man, fully God. I've already mentioned the interaction between Jesus and Nicodemus. Uh, this conversation was very much like that one of Nicodemus's, but not in the setting. Remember, Nicodemus came to Jesus at night looking to save his reputation, looking to make sure no one noticed him, didn't want to rock the boat, just wanted to test the waters and, and get to know Jesus for himself. Jesus comes at midday, not worried about his reputation or who might see him. He had something much more important in mind. He didn't worry about what issues may come up or what they might say. He wasn't going to get distracted from his mission. Verse 4 says he had to go, and later in this story, Jesus actually says that his food was to do the will of God. I believe that we have these divine appointments as well, and sometimes I think that we miss them. I know I, I miss them. Worried about our reputation, worried about is this a good time? We get distracted, we get lazy, or maybe sometimes we're just making poor choices, and we're not in the place where God wants us to be. We're not meeting the people that God wants us to be, meet because we're over here making poor choices. We miss these divine appointments. And Jesus uh, did not miss this one. He showed up just at the right time for this woman. We see these throughout Scripture. Jesus told Zacchaeus, I must go to your house. It's no accident that the Midianites came through just as Joseph's brothers were ready to kill him. Pharaoh's daughter decides to go to the river and find Moses floating by. It's not a coincidence that this particular woman came to the well on this day. Look at verse number 9. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you, speaking, why are you asking me for a drink? 
Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. Here Jesus is, again, found breaking down the barriers, breaking rules. He didn't break rules to to be a bad guy. It's just that the rules that Jesus uh, took issue with weren't found in Scripture or they weren't founded on love. For example, rabbis, teachers, they wouldn't even speak to a female relative uh, in public. Wouldn't even speak to a female relative. This woman was not only a woman, but she was a Samaritan woman and a woman of notorious character. And Jesus, in the middle of the day, not worrying about who's watching, not worrying about what's going on, knew that she was valuable, knew that she was worth it. Didn't miss this moment. Why? Why Why here? For the sake of the gospel, the good news. John 3.16, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago. For God so loved the world that whosoever, doesn't matter if it was a woman, a Samaritan woman, or a woman with a really, really bad past. It was for her. The gospel was for her. This is God so loving the world. Not in theory, but in action. He actually did it. He didn't just say it. He didn't send someone else. He went to talk to her. 1 John 3.18. The Bible tells us to not just love with words, but with actions. Jesus loved her with actions. And then we see the similarities again with Nicodemus. She misunderstands. She she just completely misses it. And time and time again, we see Jesus' patience. We see how he's so patient, incredibly patient, as he begins to explain to her what he was talking about. He didn't lose his temper. He didn't say, uh, why, are you, why are you questioning me? He's very, very patient as he answers her in verse or number 11, or as she responds in verse number 11, as she misunderstands. Look at verse 11. But, sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he? And his sons and his animals enjoyed. Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. And then I'll never be thirsty again. And I won't have to come here to get water. This water was the finest water around. In fact, the Samaritans viewed it as God's goodness to their patriarch Jacob. The fact that there was a well here that was this fine, fine water, they viewed it as God's grace and God's goodness to them. And so when Jesus said that he had something better, of course it piqued her interest and she wanted to know what it was that he was talking about. Didn't believe. He's like, she said, do you think you're better than than our father Jacob? This living water, when he says living water, she very well could have thought that he was talking about a a flowing stream, a moving water, an alive water, a running stream of water, not just a a deep well. But we know Jesus was referring to salvation. We know that because of Scripture. Isaiah 12, uh, verse 3, it says, With joy you will drink deeply from the fountain of salvation. Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Zechariah also refer to this living water. I find it very interesting that she says, Please give me this water, then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. I won't have to come here 
to get water. It's believed that she had actually gone much further than she should have had to to get water. Uh, some commentators believe there was a, a well much closer, like a, 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 mile, a half a mile away from this one, closer to her village, which was all the more uh, evidence that she had become a moral outcast from the other village women. You've probably heard this story before and have been told that the fact that she was there at noonday says this. The fact that she had to come in the heat of the day when no one else was coming. But also she had to travel further than anybody else would have to go to get this water. But I want us to focus on that phrase there. That now won't have to come here to get water. What is it that you're turning to for satisfaction, for joy, for comfort? What about this question? What could trusting in Jesus mean that you don't have to go back to? For her, she was coming to this well to get water and to get satisfied. Maybe there's something in our lives that we're turning to that if we just trusted Jesus, we wouldn't have to go back time and time again to that well that we think brings satisfaction, to that place that we think brings joy. The human heart has a thirst for something that only Jesus can satisfy. No matter what we try to quench it with, no matter what we try to fill it with, only Jesus can truly satisfy. And we find ourselves going back time and time again to a place that we don't have to go. We try popularity, we try wealth, we try stuff. This woman tried relationships, and we're about to find out about that. Look at verse 16. Jesus says, go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship, while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worshipped? Now, if you're thinking what I, what I thought as I've read this passage, you probably see Jesus' response there. She says, I don't have a husband. And he responds with, you're right, you don't have one, and you've had five, and now you're living with one that you're not married to. And you may think the same thing that I did, which is, whoa, 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 Jesus, that's a little rough. Like, like maybe, maybe, not, maybe not say it just like that. Back up just a little bit. But I think if we look closer, we realize that he wasn't wagging his finger at her. I don't think he was saying it condescendingly. I think he was saying, I know you. I know everything about you. And I'm still sitting here. I'm still here talking to you. It didn't run me off. It didn't scare me. You're worthy. You're worth it. You're worth my time. She responds with another potential distraction. We've talked about distractions and how those things can make us miss these divine appointments, and she brings up an issue here. She, she brings up a, an issue of a place of worship. She genuinely hoped, I believe, that now this man she knew uh, actually knew things and could tell answers. I think that she wanted to use that a little bit and say, okay, if you know so much, why don't you solve this for us? We've been debating over this for centuries. And I really think that she, uh, she, under, she, she saw that Jesus was a prophet, as she says it here, and, and she says, settle this dispute for us. Anytime I have an opportunity to bring in a historical figure, I like to do it because I like to uh, just point more evidence towards the fact that this is the Word of God and this is historically accurate. Uh, everybody in here has probably heard of Alexander the Great. 
Uh, that's not an unusual name. We know that Alexander the Great was a real man, and he really lived. And uh, Alexander the Great was actually the one that gave permission to build this temple at Mount Gerizim. It was built by, with his permission. Um, and so she brings this up. She asks this question. Could very easily have distracted Jesus, and he could have camped out here just like he could have back at the very beginning of the chapter and talked about baptism or debated on uh, what John was doing and what he was doing, but he had this divine appointment to get to. And similar to that, he answers her very quickly and very briefly, and he had no desire to be drawn into a debate about this subject. It could have drawn him away from his point, the reason that he had to go through Samaria. Let's look at his answer in verse 21. Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, and so those who worship him must worship in spirit and and in truth, the woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And here it is. Here's the, here's the point. Here's the purpose. Here's why Jesus had to go through Samaria. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Jesus basically tells her that you don't have to go anywhere special to find God. He basically says it's not worth debating on. We don't have to settle this dispute. You can find God anywhere. Now, are there some places that we can go to better focus on God? Do you have a place that you go to where you can uh, just, just release your mind from all the day's troubles and worries and, and really focus on God? Absolutely. I would hope that this place is that for some of you. That you could come in here and get re-energized and recharged. And you don't have to worry about what all you've got to do this week or, or what all is going on in your world. You can really focus on God here. But where you worship isn't the issue. True worship can find God everywhere. Psalm 139, we talked about it Wednesday with our students and actually read a pretty good portion of it. I would encourage you to go back and, and read it for yourself. It's, it's, uh, it's a beautiful passage. And David says, where can I go from your presence? If I go here, you're here. If I go there, you're there. He says, I can't get away from your presence. My wife, she likes to spend her lunch breaks walking. Usually she'll go to Mills Park. And last week I called her like I do on a lot of lunch breaks. So sometimes I think I bother her. I check in with her throughout the day. But uh, I called her. And, uh, and sometimes she'll be walking with a friend from work. And so I called her and I said, I said, what you doing? She said, I'm walking. I said, at your favorite place? She said, yeah, out here at Mills Park. And I said, are you walking alone today? And she said this. She said, I never walk alone. God's always with her. She recognizes the presence of God in her life. And what Jesus does here is he makes it very clear that the religious tradition that she grew up with was false. It's, again, just like Nicodemus. And Jesus told him, everything that you've learned, everything that you've heard, everything that you've been taught is not right. You must be born again. And here she says, or he tells this woman, he says, none of that stuff matters. Sometimes we read scripture or are shown scripture and, and we make the same discovery. That's what following Jesus is. It's trying to look more and more like him 
every day. Sometimes the things that we've thought all our life is the way it's got to be, and we see in Scripture that it's not. And we have to adjust accordingly. But then we get to this verse 26 here where Jesus says, I am the Messiah. This is the first mention of his true identity as the Messiah. And some would say it's the single most direct claim that he made prior to being on trial. The single most direct claim. He said, I am the Messiah. And I, I find it incredibly, incredibly encouraging, interesting, whatever word you want to use. That he didn't proclaim this in a sermon. He didn't tell this in front of a large group of people at the temple. In front of the 5,000 as he fed them. He told it to a lonely, outcast, Samaritan woman. Face to face, one on one. I am the Messiah. In John chapter 3, the gospel is for everyone. We say, for whosoever. And God so loved the world. The gospel is for everyone. But here Jesus makes it personal. He looks her eye to eye and he says, the gospel is for you. I'm here. I'm still here. I know all about your past. I know all about your history. And I'm still here. In 1986, in my parents' room, I realized that the gospel was for me. And I hope that you have a place, a time in your life where you can point back to and you recognize that that's when you realized that the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, was for you. Sure, God so loved the world that whosoever believes in him should not perish. But we've got to come to a place where we realize that that is for me. And the first thing that I wanted to do, as many of you probably, was go tell somebody. Look at verse 27. Look what she says here in verse 27 as we're getting ready to wrap up this part of our story. Just then his disciples came back. <laughs> I bet that was a funny scene to see the looks on their faces as Jesus is, they've left him for just a little while. And, 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 and on their first note, the first notice, they're probably thinking he's got himself into some kind of trouble. He's talking to a Samaritan woman. Just then his disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman. But none of them had the nerve to ask, why, what do you want with her? Or why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. One commentator said this, he said, no discovery is complete until the desire to share it fills our hearts. The desire to share what she had discovered had filled her hearts. So much so that she left her water pot behind. The reason that she came, she left it behind and she runs back to the village. She turned away from everything that she was focused on. She, she just forgot all about what she was doing and she said, this is far, far more important. When we come to Christ, our life is no longer about us. I love that she goes back not dodging the facts about her sin. Remember, she probably lived uh, in such a way that she didn't discuss those things. She was an outcast. She was living in sin. But she goes back and she says, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. She's not dodging her sin anymore. She's basking in the forgiveness that Jesus offers. And I also love that they didn't just take her word for it. No secondhand faith here. They, they came streaming from the village to see him. We're told later that many believed, not because of her testimony, but because they heard it for themselves. Sychar, this, this village that Jesus ended up in, 
The word sychar means purchased. Jesus, the one who would purchase the forgiveness of sins with his own blood, ended up, not by accident, in that village. It sounds like the perfect place to be introduced to the free gift of God. And we're told, like I said, that at the end of that passage, that many believed. Many believed. That could be you today. Maybe you've been dodging the truth about your sin. Maybe you're living in such a way that you don't recognize, you don't want to admit that that sin is an offense to a a holy God. You've been dodging the truth about it. When Jesus first asked her, she didn't give a lot of details. She just said, I don't have a husband. She wasn't wanting to admit all that sin. Maybe you don't want to face the fact that your sin separates you from God and that you need a Savior. Or today, maybe you've been drowning in the flood of your sin and you feel like there's no way God still loves you. If that's you, then I don't know that there's a better story in Scripture that could reassure you that Jesus loves you than this one. The gospel is for you, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter how far from God you feel, Jesus loves you and the gospel is for you. Now, an SEC official referee may blow the whistle right here and end the play right there and then we would call it done. Sorry, a little too soon. I, had to, I knew that was going to be a heavy moment and we had to back up a little bit. The good news is the whistle wasn't blown and we got a little bit more we talk about here. There's another thing that you can't miss in this story. Those of us in here who have had our lives interrupted by Jesus, maybe you were going in the middle of your day to get lunch, sitting at a, maybe you needed to get some water, wherever it was, however it happened, when Jesus interrupted your life and you realized that you'd never be the same again. If you're in this room and that's you, you cannot miss the lesson that he gives to his disciples. As they show back up, we already saw the confusion on their face. They're like, why is he talking to her? But none of them had the nerve to ask. And Jesus pulls them aside. We're not going to read the passage here, but Jesus pulls them aside, gives them a lesson, and he leaves them with this. Verse 35 says, wake up and look around. The fields are ripe for harvest. Jesus was in a place that they never would have been in. They would have completely avoided these people. For centuries, they'd ignored their own countrymen. They avoided them. They never considered that Jesus came for them also. It even says that they wanted to ask, what do you want with her? Almost as if Samaritans were something to be used and not loved. They wondered, what, what's Jesus getting from her? Like, Jesus couldn't be here for her. He's got to be needing something or wanting something from her. Holland Chapel, I would leave you with this. The fields are ripe for harvest. What do they look like? They look like this. I took a couple of pictures around town this week. They look like Walmart. They look like Hobby Lobby. They look like the soccer fields out here. It's packed. There's people everywhere. Maybe it looks like your workplace. Maybe it looks like your neighborhood. Who are you avoiding? What are you getting distracted by? See, for me, it may not be that I'm necessarily avoiding people. It's that I get distracted. I get distracted from my mission. I get distracted from my purpose. And because of that, I'm so afraid that I'm going to miss these divine appointments. I'm so afraid that there's a place that Nick Calloway had to go through, but he didn't go there because he was over here 
he was tired or he was lazy or he was caught up in something else. I thought about this as we get ready to close, and I'm not a farmer, so when I show you this, don't think that I've got a, uh, I don't even have a history in farming, but I do know this. If there's a garden, it better have okra in it. I love some okra. And we have uh, a lot of okra at our house. We don't have a big garden, but we've got a lot of okra. And unfortunately, okra grows really fast. And if you miss the opportunity to pick it, what happens is this is a normal size one. And I wish I had a, like a really large one to show you. This is just a little bit bigger, but they get way bigger than this. Like I've pulled some off about three times the size of this. And what that means is I got distracted. I got lazy. I didn't pick it in time. And you know what? This is no good. This is just trash. It, it, it got left on the vine too long. Why do I tell you that? Here's why I tell you that. Because I think that there's people out there in our community, in our neighborhood, that we were supposed to be having a meeting with, that we were supposed to be telling them, hey, Jesus changed my life. And you know what happens? Sometimes we miss it. We miss it. We got caught up in something else, and we didn't go out to take care of the harvest. Remember that Jesus met you just like he met the Samaritan woman in your sin. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve salvation. It was a free gift. All the more reason that we should share that. Share what you've been given. This morning, there are three ways that we can respond to this message. If you're in this room and you need to talk to somebody today because you realize if Jesus loved this woman, if Jesus spent time with this woman, maybe he really does love me. There's going to be some people back in the Connect Corner. They would love to talk to you in person. They would love to answer questions you have about Jesus or about following him. Maybe you know that your next step is baptism or church membership, and you want to look more and more like Jesus every day, and you need some direction on what that next step looks like. You can visit with somebody in person as we get ready to dismiss in a few moments. You can also turn in that Connect card. Maybe you're a first-time guest, and you just... You just maybe need to get that gift card in the mail. Maybe know that we really appreciate you being here. Turn in that Connect card. Maybe you've got a prayer concern or some way that we can serve your family. You can drop that card in. Or maybe you're in this room and you need to take action. Maybe you're as scared as I am that you're going to miss one of these divine appointments. And you need to wake up every morning with your mission on your mind. Today, I'm waking up. I'm going to help people find and follow Jesus. That needs to be our goal every single day. The fields are ripe for harvest. Don't miss it. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for this incredible story. So encouraging that you didn't make that claim, that true statement that you are the Messiah in front of thousands, but you took it personally to the woman at the well. Lord, I thank you for bringing it personally to me. I pray that there's a person in this room that does not know you as their Savior, that they are hearing that voice right now. That you're the Savior of the world, but not just the world. You're, the, you're their Savior. You want to be their Savior. Lord, I pray that we'll take action, that we'll look around, that we'll realize the fields are ripe for harvest, that we won't get distracted, that we won't delay. We'll have those conversations that will get right to the point that we won't miss those appointments that you've set in motion for us. 
Thank you so much for Jesus, for giving us hope, for giving us life, for giving us joy through him that uh, compels us to come here and celebrate. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.